0: So, what do you think about Jovan being on there for the first time? Where's Jovan at? There you are, Jovan. Wonderful job, wonderful job. Amen. Are we ready to break open the Word of God this morning? How many of you are hungry and ready for the Word of God? If you have your Bibles, I'm going to unbutton this because I feel too bloated today, so (laughs) I had a donut this morning that I shouldn't have. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, and then we're also going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 2. So you want to turn those uh, there in your either paper Bibles or if you're any of the new technology, the electronic versions. And while you're doing that, I just want to um, welcome some great friends of ours from Frisco, Texas that are here sitting with Stephanie, Clint, and Cammie Collins. They're great ministry friends of ours. And, of course, beside them is, uh, is a girl that goes to school. I'm going to embarrass you, Bree. She goes to school with Stephanie, and her name is Bree Dobbins. So it's good to have all of you with us. So welcome. Bree's been joining us for about the last month or so. So anyway, we're, I think she's calling this her home church. So we're glad to have all of you. Well, before I get started, I want to do what I usually would do. There was a $20 bill and a $1 bill. That were on the conveyor belt together at the downtown Federal Reserve Building. As they were lying there side by side, the $1 bill said to the $20 bill, Hey man, where have you been? I haven't seen you in a long time. Well, the $20 bill replied, Well, man, I've had a ball. I've been traveling to distant countries, I've been going to the finest restaurants, to the biggest and the best casinos, numerous boutiques. The mall uptown, the mall downtown, the mall across town, and even the mall I just newly built. In fact, just this week, I've been to Europe, a professional NBA game. I've been to Rodeo Drive. I've been to the all-day retreat and spa. I've been to top-notch hair salons and the new casino they just built in town. Man, I have done it all. Well, after describing his great travels, the $20 bill asks the $1 bill. Where what about you? Where have you been? Well, the $1 replied, I've been to the Baptist Church, been to the Methodist Church, I've been to the Presbyterian (laughs) Church, been to the Assembly of God Church, the Church of God, the AME, the Disciples of Christ Church. I've been to all these churches. And of course the $20 bill raises his voice and says, wait a second, wait a second, you've been to all of those places? And the one dollar bill says, Yeah. And through the response of the $20 bill, what's a church? I will guarantee if you didn't get it about 3 a.m. in the morning, you will get it and you'll start to wake up laughing. This past Wednesday night, as Pastor Dez was beginning his teaching in our living room class, he said something that I want to copy after him. He simply said, let me talk to my Lord for a moment. And so give me a moment and let me talk to my Lord. Father, I ask that you bless this time the breaking open of your word. Lord, I do not take it lightly to be able to stand behind this sacred desk to share your word with these people. And I ask you, Lord, that you just anoint my lips, that you just move in and through me, for I am a willing vessel to be used as you see fit. Lord, that I may say the right things at the right moment. Lord, that it will be a word in due season for those who need it, and ask you, Lord, you bless your word today, for it will not come back void, and it will not come back in vain. And we thank you, Lord, for honoring this prayer today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Are you at Matthew chapter 20? It is 11-11 for those of you who are taking medicine today, so just to <laughs> let you know. They've left me plenty of time today. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse number 20. I'm reading today from the New International Version, which I usually do not do. The past several years, I have become a great fan of the New Living Translation. But uh, in the translation that I wanted to give today, the NIV had the better translation. So we're going to read from that today. If you have your electronic Bibles, you can switch to the NIV in just a matter of a click. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, ask a favor of him. Now, this mother had to be desperate in order to go to the point of kneeling down in front of Jesus, asking him this favor. Jesus says, what is it, uh, what is it you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of my two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, She had the audacity to ask this important question, to put her two sons on his right and left in heaven in front of all the other disciples, okay? You can tell she was a mother who loved her sons. Do we have any mothers that love their son like she loves her sons? And Jesus said in verse number 22, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink, we can. Now listen to their confidence. We can. Yes, Lord, we can. They had no idea what was coming in the way of Jesus. They said, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. And when Jesus called them together, in other words, he had a, a board meeting with his disciples. He said, come on in, you two brothers and you other ten, you come on. He said this. Well, verse 24 says, when they were, the ten heard this, they were indignant with, their two, with these two brothers. And Jesus called a board meeting, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, here he is. He's establishing with his disciples that people who want to try to reach very high levels without going through the process. And how becoming very pious and very much of a big head will get them in trouble. And so he's bringing them together, and he's having a teaching moment with his disciples. And he says in verse number 26, not so with you. He's saying, No, sir, you're not going to be like them. You are going to be humble in everything you do. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So we live in this backwards kingdom. To live, we must what? We must die. To go up, we must go down. We live in a backwards kingdom. Whenever you step into the kingdom of God, it completely contradicts the way of the world and the way of the culture. And so Jesus is establishing himself as an example. He is having a teaching moment with his disciples, and he says, if you want to go up, you must come down. If you want to be first, you must be last. And he says in verse number 28 is this, just as a son of man, referring to himself. Just as I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what was Jesus doing? He was telling them, if you want to be great in my kingdom work, do as I do. You think you're here serving me, but I'm here to tell you you're not to serve me. There's an aspect of us serving the Lord. We all understand that. But Jesus saying, I came to serve and not be served. So he's establishing this foundational principle that he wants every disciple, which you and I are disciples, he's wanting us to follow him in this same path to say, it's not about me. Everybody say that. It's not about me. It's about others. So he's establishing this very strong foundational principle in with his own words to his disciples saying if you want to do what's right be a servant and then when you he says this other play in another place he said if you want to be ruler over many things then you've got to be faithful in the little things first the principle of the bible right it's a principle principle of jesus It seems like today, um, American culture, and I can speak very easily from American culture because I live in America. Thank God for that. I'm thankful for America. But living in this culture and, and being uh, in church my entire life, uh, being on the ins and the outs, I've been in the pews, I've been in every position available that you can imagine. Being in that, it just seems like in today's culture, nationwide, You go across the world, but I'm speaking mainly of America today. It just seems like we live in a society that it's all about me. Me, myself, and I. All all about me, what makes me feel good, what makes me happy. Forget everyone else. Forget about what they believe. Forget about how they feel about something. Forget about all of that. If it satisfies me, then that's all I care about. Does everybody understand and agree with that? One of the things, and I'm going to grab my phone down here for a second. One of the things that is very common today that you will see is, uh, is this. And, and when I do it, I want you to shout out what it's called, okay? <laughs> well, what's it called? A selfie. a selfie. Appropriate for today's culture in the fact that we're all about ourselves. Some of you didn't laugh, and I didn't plan you to, but (laughs) thank God this isn't being videotaped, although it is just for the screens. It's a me culture, and that culture has bled over into the body of Christ as a whole. Whether you agree with it or not, it's fact. And we have this mindset that I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Forget about anybody's thoughts. Forget about even the Word of God. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. And it has bled over into the body of Christ. Now, I'm not speaking generally just for Bethesda. I'm talking about as the body of Christ as a whole. And so we have this mindset. We've even named that word, selfie, out of that. in the fact that we, it's about us, you can go on Facebook. It doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. I'm the type of person, I don't like to see a picture of myself. I don't like to hear myself. After today, my message will be going up online on our website. You'll guarantee I will not be listening to it. I don't like to listen to myself. I don't like to see myself. Matter of fact, I want to kind of do this to the screens because I just don't like to be anything. I grew up very shy, very much of an introvert. For me to be up here is a miracle, to be doing what I'm doing. I always said God had a sense of humor (laughs) the thing that I dreaded the most be in front of people God had to call me to do this but we live in this society where it's all about me and I believe if we were to cut God open he would bleed others but if we were to cut the church of today we would most likely bleed ourselves because we live in the culture of America that it's all about us. You can turn on any television program uh, for the most part, and and it's all about that person and what makes them feel good. But I want to read the next passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 2 that's going to set the foundation for the rest of my message this morning. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 42, and if you've ever been in the Assembly of God or Church of God or any of the Pentecostal denominations, we've read this a million times over and over again. But there's some words that stuck out in the Scripture for me here that I want to give to us today in this church. Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 42. Now remember, this is the beginning of the New Testament church as we know it today. It is the model that every every church across the world should model itself after is the New Testament church of Acts chapter 2. In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is our model. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's important, is unity in the body of Christ. Sad to say, not everybody who calls himself a Christian have the same common goals. Verse number 45. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need so they were giving of themselves they were naturally they had a natural desire to give of themselves and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts There are so many points that I can point out in these few passages of scriptures that I can preach a message on all by itself but they, this is not my points every day they had continued to meet together in temple courts and then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As I read this passage of Scripture, there's a few words in here that has become life-changing to me in the fact that it required me to rethink the 21st century church. Because I always thought about the the me culture, all about me and what makes me feel good and and trying to put that into the context of the early New Testament church and trying to see how we can adapt what happened in the early New Testament church and apply it to us today in the 21st century. It causes me to think of how we can redo and revamp some things to change the culture of the church from being separate from what the world has been teaching us. And we all have to deal with our culture that we live out here. We work in the secular force for many of us. We go to school in the the public. We, We shop and all this stuff. But we have created the culture of the world and brought it inside the walls of the local church. And it seems like churches that reach uh, an age of 25 or plus more years of age, that it's easy for churches to become stagnant. It's easy for churches to find a groove and to get in it and to stay in a groove. And if I were to be honest and, and just go through my evaluation of what my thoughts have been, it seems to me the Christian church as a whole can be the most resistant to change And to recreate some things and to stay relevant with today's society. Uh, I have been in churches and I have known churches and heard stories of churches to where many of our churches, not a majority, but I would say quite a few, uh, live in a a time to where they're so far back in time that they're no longer relevant to today's culture. Uh, my home church that I grew up in in, its, in my time as a, as a young kid was in its heyday, and it was a moving and grooving and just a, a, a powerful church, but I can probably say, just because I know the history of it, that they are probably 20 to 30 years behind time and no longer relevant to today's culture, and sadly, there are many churches across America that are not relevant today and does not relate to the culture of today. Knowing that the message of God never changes, but the methods do change. Pastor Dan last week preached a message that some of you thought was just a nice message, but I'm telling you this. He preached a prophetical type of a message, a vision message of us to raise the bar. We are called as this church, as it would be for any church, but we're we're saying for this church because the message was for Bethesda, that we are called to raise the bar. God is enlarging us. He is stretching us beyond means, and we need to be ready for that. So I was looking at this passage of Scripture, and I want so desperately for us to emulate the, uh, the time of the early New Testament church and see how we can bring that same desire, that same passion to us. And as I begin in Luke uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, can you put the, uh, that verse of Scripture back up here one more time? Acts 2. There you go. The first three words stood out to me. They devoted themselves. Everybody say that with me. They devoted devoted themselves. This, to me, is an important key for any church, for any Christian organization, to say, if we can get everyone to be devoted themselves, then we can get so much more accomplished and be more effective in ministry work because everybody, they meaning the people, The thousands that were added that day, the new Christians, the Bible says they devoted themselves. Now, what does devoted mean? It means to be very loving or loyal. It means to give all or a large part of one's time or resources to a person or activity or cause. They devoted themselves. In other words, there was a personal drive on the inside of them that caused them to be self-motivated to do the things of the Lord without having to be told or prompted by anybody else. You see where I'm going with this? Because we live in a society today to where we are so me-minded that it takes, uh, in today's culture, and I say that a lot because that's, that's what the Lord has been dealing with me a lot, is the fact that we... Uh, as as church leadership, as even lay leadership of this church or any church, is the fact that one of our biggest obstacles is getting people devoted to the things of God and to be devoted to the house of God, to be devoted to prayer, to be devoted to um, uh, loving each other, to be devoted to others. And so we are trying, I'm trying my best To bring a culture to the American church, which is not easy, to say it's not about us. It's about Him, and when it's about Him, it's about others. Amen? It needs to be about others. Christianity was founded upon principles by Jesus Himself that we are called to be others-minded. There are moments in time that we need to be centered on ourselves and take care of our needs. But for the most part, as a whole, we are called to be others-minded, that we devote ourselves to the things of God without having to be prompted or begged or asked. It needs an automatic thing. So in other words, what you devote yourself to do, that no one else has to tell you to do it. In the New Testament, it says they saw needs and they met needs automatically. They devoted themselves. They didn't have to be asked. They didn't have to be begged. They devoted themselves. If you're devoted to your family, no one has to tell you to be devoted to them because it's an automatic devotion and love for them. If you um, are a food connoisseur, Anybody have love food around here? If you're a food connoisseur, no one has to tell you to be devoted to loving food. Lunch is coming. I just made everybody think of lunch just right now. If you are a sports lover and you love sports, no one has to tell you to be devoted to love sports. Why? Because it's an automatic built-in desire and devotion to that thing. If you have a hobby... No one has to prompt you to love that hobby. That hobby is automatically built on the inside of you to where you have that natural desire to work and function in that hobby. And the same thing goes with the the responsibilities of ministry work. And so we need to get back to have that automatic devotion to where we are devoted ourselves I believe we've come so far off base from the model of the Acts chapter 2 New Testament church that today's Christian culture believes that the soul winning and the ministry work belongs strictly to those who stand behind the pulpit or in who are in church leadership. How do I know that? Because I sat where you sat and I thought those same thoughts. I thought, why in the world would I need to go do all this extra ministry work in trying to reach the lost when, after all, the pastor and his staff do such a wonderful job with it, and they preach wonderful messages that people respond to the altar, why do I need to get involved? If you read the Scripture, you will find out that every one of us in this room are called to be ministers of the gospel. Say this, say, I am a minister of the gospel it's the purpose of church leadership it's the purpose of the fivefold ministry giftings found in Ephesians the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher and evangelist it's the purpose and calling of them to equip the saints say I'm a saint you're a saint to equip the people of God to do the work of the ministry But yet in today's culture, we've gotten to where we we think, well, it's the pastor's job or it's the staff's job. After all, they're getting paid a salary. They're getting paid a paycheck. Their responsibility, let them do it all because that's what they're called to do. But the Bible says every one of us have an obligation to spread this gospel to all. So somewhere in the last 2,000 years, there's been a shift in thinking that this responsibility of ministry work has shifted from the congregation to the platform. And that is so unscriptural in the fact that that would be the first thing I think the devil would want to try to institute in the local body is to think, "Ah, don't worry about it. You just sit down, be still, just receive. Many churches today have become a bless me club. What can I get when I go to church? What can I do? And believe me, there are times when we come to receive. Every Sunday there are moments that we receive from the Lord, but then there are times when we're also called to give. We are called to give. So what we have now is church leaders being worn out, trying to get the people to do what the Bible says they should be doing all themselves, all by themselves. And so there are ministry responsibilities that take place behind the scenes that no one ever knows about. There are people when you came in the the building today that were holding the door open for you, smiling, passing out bulletins. There were ushers that were helping find seats before the service and receiving our tithes and offerings and help with communion. There are teachers right now as I speak that are back there watching our children. Some of them wishing that they could be in here listening to the message and hearing this wonderful worship that we had earlier today. But people who give of themselves because we understand the biblical principles of being devoted ourselves to see that the ministry work is done and the load carried by multiple people so that the lost can be saved and people can be touched and delivered and set free. When I went to Bible college back in the early 90s, I remember giving up everything, giving up a great career to go off to Bible college because I heard the Lord say go. And I decided that when I made the decision to go and when I got up to Ohio to attend that college that I was going to dive in headfirst. And I did exactly that. It was a church of about 10,000 people, and they had all kinds of ministries. It had a major tele- worldwide television network and prayer lines and all these different ministries. And I dove in headfirst as soon as I put my feet on the ground in Columbus, Ohio. Got involved with their prayer, the phone prayer ministry. Uh, one of the things, the ministries that um, I was very devoted and dedicated to, no one had to ask me. I just automatically said, God, I'm yours. Use me. I found something to do. I didn't wait for somebody to come ask me, hey, will you come volunteer over here? I naturally said, I'm here, Lord, point it out, and I saw the first thing, and I jumped in. One of the areas I worked in as a volunteer was uh, a food pantry. They had a ministry for uh, those who uh, needed food, and of course, we did all of our ministry work and prayed with the families, and even saw salvations take place as they were receiving their food, and I worked diligently, and I was devoted to that like I was getting paid, and I did not get paid one dime. Matter of fact, I was paying the college to be there. Go figure that one out. But I was in Bible college, and I was working out outside of my school in this food pantry, and I worked for about a year in there faithfully. Eventually, over time, they asked me to kind of be a leader over it as a volunteer and I did that willingly and graciously and then at one point the director of the outreach ministry came to me and says hey I've noticed you've been working very hard and very diligent in this, in this ministry and you're taking it very seriously He said yeah I do I take it seriously he said we have a position open on staff for you as if you want it you can have it I took about three seconds to pray and then I said yes because you see, I went to Bible college not knowing what I was going to be doing. I never went to Bible college ever knowing that I was going to pastor. Matter of fact, I even asked God, Lord, you can put me in any ministry of the church, just don't let me be a pastor. That was the biggest mistake I could ever say. Never tell God that you're not going to do something, because most likely, he, in his sense of humor, he's going to put you there. So I went to Bible college not knowing what I was going to do, questioned God many times, God, what in the world am I doing up here? I know I heard your voice. I obeyed you. I'm being faithful. I'm being diligent. And Lord, I I need you to tell me what I'm going to do. And it was one year after I got there, I I started my staff there at the church. And I've been in full-time ministry ever since then, going on 20 years this summer. And it's been the best decision I could have made. You see, some of us want to get to the top very fast. There may be some of you aspiring to some ministry position and you want it badly. And I'm here to tell you this, if you want to get there, be faithful in the little and then God will make you ruler over much. You see, God had to prove, I had to prove to God and God was wanting me to prove to him that I can work in the food pantry. I had to prove to him my loyalty, I had to prove to him that I was serious about what he called me to do. Whatever it was, I was serious about it. And I became devoted to something that once I started, it grabbed my heart and I never let go. Some of us are looking, I don't know what God's want me to do. I don't know what God's called me to do. I've, I've been praying. I've been seeking. And, and, and you're not involved in anywhere in this church. You simply come and sit and leave. Let me tell you this. Find somewhere get connected, start serving somewhere, even though you don't feel God pull on you and watch and see what God doesn't do and and show you more of the big picture for you. I promise you, it will work. If you just find a need and get in it and serve and be devoted yourself, you will see God expand what He's called you to do at some point if you just stick with it. It will work for you. Amen? heard a story of a pastor. He went to a wedding reception one time, and he sat beside a couple that he didn't know, and they started conversing back and forth with each other, and he found out that this couple had been uh, uh, pastors of a church for 25 years, and in the last few years before that, they had resigned and had gone to work in the secular workforce after 25 years of full-time ministry. Well, this pastor kind of inquired, well, what, what made you do this? What are you doing? What, where are you working at now? After 25 years of being a, a senior pastor working in a ministry, devoted for all those years to people and others, he said, he said what are you doing now? He goes, we run a bar. We run a bar. And of course, this pastor, it it, it intrigued him of why they chose out of all the professions that they could have gone to, why are they working in a bar? So he asked them, why are you doing that? Why did you choose that path? He said, because we love people. He said, we have found out that the people that go to the bars were devoted by themselves. He goes, we had to be around people. And he said, we found out that that was the place that they were devoted to come and get a drink And that was our way to get into their life that we tried so desperately to do in our 25 years of pastoring that we could not do. So we've gone the path of running the bar. He said, now we've got people that are devoted to us because we have devoted ourselves to them. He said, "We're, however you see it as a ministry, that's between them and God. I'm not endorsing, by the way, for you to go quit your ministry and go work in a bar. (laughs) He said, we were just exhausted. Exhausted doing the work of the ministry and being the very few that that got involved to help the church go, and we just got wore out and exhausted. And we went to where uh, the people were devoted. He goes, he goes. People in our church for twenty five years, they 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 came late and left early. He said in the bar, they come early and they leave late. <laughs> he goes. You know, the, the flipping of the light switches? I don't know this lifestyle because I've never been in there. I've heard of it. That they flip the lights around 2 o'clock in the morning saying, this is the last call, get your last drink order because we're getting ready to close. He goes, we have to do that. He said, in the house of God, they're out the door as soon as we say amen. Now, that may seem humorous, but for someone as myself who have a tremendous burden for pastors in church leadership to see that they gave 25 years of their life to people and they chose a path to reach people in a totally different, outrageous way all because they were unsuccessful in their 25 years of ministry. Granted, they probably had many successes. But after 25 years of ministry, they changed. They said, people are devoted to drinking, devoted to going to the bars, Not everybody's devoted to going to the house of God. Back in Ohio, I had my home office. My home office is right next door to our living room. And I was in my office doing whatever I was doing, and uh, we have basements up there, and so whenever anybody walks hard on the floor or runs in the house, it kind of reverberates through the whole house because it's hollow underneath, and it just kind of makes a loud noise if you're running or walking hard. And I noticed as in my office, I heard this, this pitter-patter for about 20 minutes or so, just, just a constant, like a little jog or run or something in the house. And I, being a man, I was in my box. Ladies, men have boxes. Guys, I ought to hear amens from you. I'm, I'm sticking up for you. And so there was this box that I was in, and I, I heard it, but I just kept tuning it out. And it was going on for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And I went out of my office and went into the living room, finding my son, Grafton. He's eight years old now. He was about five or six at the time. And I saw him and caught him running around our coffee table in a circle. Just running around. You know, coffee tables, you know, probably about that long. And he was running around. I mean, I heard it constantly for about 20 or 25 minutes. And I stopped and said, Grafton, what are you doing? He goes, I'm running around the coffee table. I said, I know that, but why are you doing it? He goes, because I'm trying to get fit and strong. I said, Grafton, okay, I commend you for that, but but what sparked this interest of you running around the coffee table for this long? And he was, by this time, he was huffing and puffing. He picked up a magazine off of our coffee table, and it was one of Stephanie's magazines for runners, and it had this real beef guy on there, you know, running, jogging, and with these abs and these pectoral muscles that kind of look like me when my shirt's off. (laughs) And uh, he was running, and he was desperate. He had devoted himself. He saw that picture of that guy, and he says, I want to look like that guy, and he started running around the coffee table thinking that 20 or 25 minutes worth was going to get him there. But he was, here's my point, he was Devoted, even though it was short-term, for a five- or six-year-old, that's a long time. He was finding some inner devotion, automatic desire to run around that coffee table to get the results that he saw on that magazine. Now, when he got finished, he didn't look anything like the guy, but I guarantee you he would have gotten there if he would have stayed devoted. But as a five- or six-year-old, I, I, I commend him. Commended him for doing that. And so we have this devotion, this automatic love for God, for the things of God. An automatic devotion to be others-minded and to get out of our comfort zone. one of the greatest strategies of the enemy in the Christian world today is to cause us to become comfortable where we are and when we become comfortable we like it there and we want to lay down there spiritually and we become spiritually fat when we have so many things the Lord is wanting us to do as a body of believers in this comfort zone paralyzes us. It's like a medication that puts us to sleep. We like it here. So many churches today, again, and I can say this, I can talk about this because I've lived there, I've been in this, that we get in our comfort zones as a a church body and we we don't change with the culture of the time and some of us stick our 20s or 30 years behind time Irrelevant to the time and the place that we live in today, that when we have our services and we sing our songs, that either it relates to people or it does not. I grew up on the old hymns. How many of you grew up on the old hymn songs? You see your hands. Love the old hymns. Love the old hymns. Many times. I was at the altar crying my eyes out, simply or even in the pews, worshiping the Lord over these old, good old-fashioned songs. And we sang a few here this morning. But by and large, the younger generation, that music does not appeal to. That's the reason churches now have more of a contemporary, modern feel in their music, which those of us who or in our older generations may not appreciate that much because it's totally different from our years in the past of the old hymns. And we get in these ruts of, of saying, okay, we're, the music that we're going to be singing is, is all the ones back from 30, 40, 50 years ago. If it worked then, by golly, it's going to work now. Well, I have to tell you, it doesn't work today with the younger generation. Those of us who grew up in it and appreciate it, oh, we get a lot out of that, don't we? So what I'm saying is they devoted themselves to do what the Lord's called them to do without always having to be prompted to do it. I'm going to ask Pastor Brent if you'll join me today because I'm going to close out here with something special. You see, God can only do what He can do through people who have a certain level of buy-in or a self-motivation to carry their part of the ministry work and the ministry load. Pastor Dan sent me a quote this week that I included in today's message, and it's from a gentleman by the name of Oswald Chambers. Many of you know who he is. He says this, Service is the overflow which pours from a life filled with love and devotion. Service to others. And because I oversee quite a few ministries that that include a lot of volunteers and a lot of positions that need to be filled here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and other days of the week, I interact with so many of you who come to me and say I'm here, what do you want me to do, where can I serve, where's your greatest need and then we plug them in as we see those come to our way, come our way and I'm just here to close this out today and say Bethesda American church we need to be devoted ourselves find an automatic desire to get involved to do the ministry load and carry this load. This is a big ship. It's not as big as many ships out there. There are some ships that are people that have, you know, 5,000 plus people in them. But this is a fairly large ship to steer. And it takes more than just Pastor Dan. It takes more than myself, the rest of the staff here. It even takes more from the great volunteers that currently volunteer in these positions. And again, last week, Pastor Dan had challenged us to raise the bar, to challenge us to grow and to get out of our comfort zone. Our friends that are with us today here, they attend uh, in Frisco Elevate Life Church, Pastor Keith Kraft. Pastor Kraft said a quote that I want to read you. He said, your next level begins at the end of your comfort zone that's tweetable right there or Facebook worthy for those of you who are doing that. Your level begins at the end of your comfort zone. And your first step is to become uncomfortable with being comfortable. We'll let that sink in just for a moment. See, some of us may be very comfortable in where we are. Some of us can't serve and be involved because we have handicap conditions or we have work schedules and other things that are very legitimate but there are many of us who have the physical capabilities I have the time to find some place in this church to get involved and to help carry this ministry load why for the sake of others not just to keep us busy that's the last thing we want to do is be busy for busy's sake. But that we really are here to serve everyone. Parking cars, helping people find spaces, greening the doors, working the children's ministry, helping with the ushering team. So many different aspects of this ministry, of where we need people to say, I'm devoted. To Bethesda I'm devoted to God I'm devoted to serve and to be a servant leader I'm devoted to be wherever the need may be I'm here I'm available we can easily say look look what look what God's done at Bethesda I mean look at the wonderful praise team and the choir Look at the wonderful children's ministry we have. Look, look at all the wonderful different things that are going on there. Look what God has done. But the fact is, God is he's the main one that helped give the vision. But it took people to do all this. It took people. This does not just come at the snap of God's finger. God placed in people's heart to get involved, to help facilitate and to do all these things that we do so that we have a church to come to to where we can worship our God freely and openly I'm going to ask to close here, I'm going to ask if you are here today and you volunteer in any position whatsoever I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats even if you're in the balcony and I want you to join me up front here and if you will do this very quickly very quickly I want to be able to see the people that are here. If you volunteer in any capacity from the smallest to even church leadership as a lay leader, I want you to move down and the choir want you down here. You're volunteering your time for the sake of singing and bringing worship to God. If you're here, come on down from the balcony. As they're coming, I want to tell you this. Next coming Sunday, you've been hearing advertisements on this. Next coming Sunday, right after the morning service, as soon as we dismiss, in our gymnasium, in our atrium hall, in our cafeteria, we're going to be showcasing all of the ministries of Bethesda. And when you see how many booths or ministries that are going to be represented, many of you, even if you've been here a few years, are going to be totally shocked at the many opportunities that, it, that we have available right here in Bethesda. If you can move on in. Come on in a little bit closer make room. So if you're new here to the church and you've not been involved, and again, some of you physically can't get involved or work schedules, we understand that. But any of our volunteer positions that, that, that service the different areas of our church throughout the week, we're just asking for some, many of the ministries, not all of them, uh, once a month. When you come to the music and the choir, it's weekly. But for the most part, many of our ministries, we're just asking for a one Sunday morning or one Sunday night, or one Wednesday night commitment, a month, that's it, just one. Now granted, we have some down here that serve more than once a month in ministries. They want to, they desire to. I have, I have a couple in our greeters ministries that came to me uh, months ago and said, I wanna, we want to serve every Sunday. We love greeting at the door, we want to serve every Sunday. And we say, great, wonderful, jump in, and they have. But next Sunday, for those of you who are sitting and not involved and want to get involved, we're going to give you a plethora, if I can use a big word. And I know how to spell it, by the way. Remember in our family, if it's a big word and we can't spell it, we can't use it. So I know how to spell it. We're going to have a plethora of ways for you to get connected through home groups, through discipleship classes, through opportunities to volunteer and serve. I want... I want all of you up here to turn around and face the congregation. I want you to look and see all these people find some place and they're serving somewhere. They're physically able and they have the time. Turn around and face me. Pastor Dane, will you join me up here to close this out? I'm going to talk to you up here from the bottom of our hearts. For those of us who are on the ministry, church leadership ministry side, Pastor Dan on down, we thank you for your service to this church. Because of what you do, and you do it willingly, and you don't get paid for it, you do it graciously, you do it with wonderful attitudes, because of all of that, we're able as a church body to reach the people, the masses in our community. And there are many people here serving the Lord today in this church because of you. And we thank you for that. I don't want you to ever think that those of us in church leadership never appreciate what you do. And I wish I could tell you individually, everybody, uh, individually, one-on-one, but I can't. And I know Pastor Dan can say the same thing, and he may want to say a few words. But from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you. You all make us look good, and we don't deserve that. And we honor you today. We thank you today. You are God's gift to this church, and we bless you today, and we love you, and we appreciate every one of you, and all your hard work does not go unseen or in vain. We thank you.